Woo, the man of tomorrow is here. The pod god. <laughs> I actually had a friend call me that. Uh, it was, it was, that, was, that was pretty good. The pod god. I was like, well, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Uh, whew, anyway, <laughs> a lot to get into in our weekly Q&A this week. And we will try to get to all of it. I'm not sure if we will. I actually just dropped off uh, or, you know, just just hinted at to people in the uh, Sovereign Tech Telegram group. Hey, anybody got any, you know, hot questions they want to get in? Feel free to get them in now. I'm recording as we speak. And, uh, you know, if they come in and, and they work, we'll, you know, we'll rock them out uh, right in this episode. So one of the benefits of being in uh, you know, the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, no doubt. Of course, the real benefit, in my opinion, and he, and especially for me, uh, for the Sovereign Tech Telegram group is getting to interact with listeners. But not only that, like the conversations, and I know I keep saying this, but really, you've got to be there and you've got to see them. The conversations happening. Uh, there's been a great conversation around artificial intelligence uh, in the group in the past couple of days, obviously playing off of... Um, off of, you know, the most recent episode, uh, of sovereign tech. And, you know, I actually, I had a lot of people, I had quite a few emails, um, and actually some people reached out to me on Twitter, uh, in response to that. In fact, one of our questions is going to come from it, but it's not directly about artificial intelligence, but regardless, you know, the comment came along, uh, you know, people saying that, wow, you know, this idea that the internet is a singular living organism, um, you know, they, they were just, they were kind of blown away, I guess. Uh, I mean, and I agree, like, you know, I, I really, I, even when I had first heard somebody initially talk about that, uh, in that book web awake that I talked about, you know, like it, it didn't click like, it was like, eh, you, you know, but then, you know, as, as time goes on and you realize what's happening, yeah, you know, even for me, it's kind of a mind blowing thing. And, you know, I had a lot of people saying, wow, you know, Stallion, that was a, a really brilliant episode, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he, here's the thing. So, and, and I appreciate, you know, people complimenting and saying, whatever, I'm a genius, I'm brilliant or something like that. I, I don't know that what I was laying out was from me was that brilliant in that episode. And certainly it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Uh, and one that we will have ongoing, we are going to talk more about AI uh, and so on, especially some of which based off of was laid out in the, in the telegram group. Of course you can join that link is in the show notes for every fucking episode of anything that I do. Okay. To get into that telegram group, go for it. And you can be there and, and rock and roll. You can see it for yourself um, and join in please. I mean, I, I get it. I, I hear from, I mean, hell even Ellen will say it, but you know, look, all, all I've got, there are people far smarter than I am. Okay. All I've got is one, a very open mind. Okay. To all kinds of uh, craziness, shall we say uh, <laughs> all kinds of wild ideas. I have a very open mind and I have uh, fortunately a great knowledge of history. Okay. And, and those are, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of life experience. Sure. Um, and I like to think I have a pretty good ethical foundation, but I don't, or I mean, I don't know if I'd even go there regardless, <laughs> the two things that I have and that I bring to the table on sovereign tech are just that. Okay. I have a very open mind and I really do. 
Uh, I know people think I take hard lines on things. No, they are hard lines based upon like an openness to alternatives to what is getting, uh, uh, you know, pushed on us by Silicon Valley uh, or otherwise. But then also, you know, a knowledge of history. And I think if you have those two things, you have an excellent foundation with which to encounter and engage any new information, anything, you know, anything new that comes your way. And it allows you, you know, to be able to comment on a lot of things as well, especially not so much the open mind, but a good knowledge of history really allows for that. It's, it's so important. It's really so important because, you know, what's, it's almost like what we were talking about with unstructured data, right? In that conversation where, you know, your knowledge of history might like this little tidbit, you know, about history might not mean something now, but then suddenly more puzzle pieces get tossed in front of you and eventually, oh, this starts to come together. And those, those, you know, little tidbits of historical knowledge suddenly become very important that you didn't even realize when you, you know, first integrated them. So yeah, if there's one thing, you know, if you want to, okay, you know, how can I, how can I engage these ideas, what's going on in all of this right now? Um, you know, like maybe the golden stallion does or something, just have that great knowledge of history and have an open mind. Uh, that that's, that's always, I, I know people say that all the time, but let's be clear here. Most people don't, right. They taught, they said, they think they do, but not really. And when I say have an open mind, I mean, you've got to like really unchunk, you have to unlearn, you know, to, to quote Yoda, I guess you have to unlearn what you've learned. Okay. And have a genuine open mind that is capable of taking on different perspectives that is capable of trying to get to objectivity and remove one's own subjectivity to a situation as much as that is possible. Okay. I'm not saying that that's hundred percent possible, but you've got to have a really, really fucking open mind. Okay. Now some people might say to me, yeah, but stallion, you know, when, when Christians come at you, you know, you call bullshit on them. Uh, okay. I have friends that are Christians, dear friends that are Christians. I have lots of listeners, listeners who have been listening forever that are Christians. They know where I'm coming from. I get where they're coming from and we all come together. And I mean, I've, I've said this so many times, if you are on the side of absolute peace, we are on the same team. Okay. But you know, let's be clear here for many, not all, but for many Christians, you know, it, thinking that, oh, maybe there is a God, that was not the side of, of, that was not the perspective of open-mindedness, right? The opposite, actually. The idea that there is no God is really the more, like, that is the theory or the concept that requires the open mind to explore, not the other way around. So don't say that, well, I'm closed off and I'm an atheist or I'm this and I'm closed off to all these, you know, ideas. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, it's, it's my ability to think that there are possibilities outside of those that is actually the open mind, right? Okay. So it's really important to, I mean, it, it, yeah, you, you've got to have an open mind to, and, and, and I'll just, I'm going to end this, this point off with this because how many times have you been told, oh, have an open mind. It's in so many fucking movies, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it's usually horseshit. Like I said. You have to have an open mind to the point, right? 
that you have to question, you know, civilization itself. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to leave it, leave it there. Okay. And that, that, that's it. I'm not telling you what to think about that because then that wouldn't be very open-minded, but I am telling you that you need to consider that at that depth of a level. I mean, and we've already taught, had conversations that go in that direction, but there you go. Okay. Question it all. Have a genuinely open mind. Anyway, speaking of uh, having an open mind, boy, you know, a book, I was waiting for this to come out. Both, uh, both Ellen and I were, uh, Dr. Michael Greger, uh, he wrote the book that, that Ellen and I talked about recently on the Sovereign Tech episode, um, How Not to Die, which came out in 2015. Well, he just had a new book come out called How Not to Diet, and I, I've started reading it, you know, obviously listening to it, audiobook. Uh, go to audiobook.nl or audiobookbay.nl, folks, if you want to get your book up. <laughs> from the public library, but this is a really, really long book. I think it's, it's about 24 hours. I mean, the average book that I read and they are not small, you know, usually weighs in and anywhere between nine to 11 hours, as far as a one X speed. Listen, obviously I do two X, but still 24 hours. That's pretty big. It's not the biggest. I know there's 50 hour ones. There's even more, I'm sure. And you don't have to tell me what those are. I know. Okay. But Regardless, this is a fairly long book, fairly big book. And and so far, I'm a few chapters in, and I am incredibly impressed. In fact, uh, Dr. Greger opens it up really criticizing government, industry, and most importantly, in my opinion, uh, the thing that really gets people to break from reality, that is the advertising industry. And I was, I mean, I loved it. I am listening to this book and just going, holy shit. Yes. (laughs) Like keep ripping on the ad industry. Keep ripping on advertising. Don't stop. Just, just, just keep going. I mean, he only spends a couple chapters on that, but I wish he, he could have, if half the book was about all the bullshit in advertising, that would have been just, just dynamite. I would have loved it. Um, and like I said, he does a fair job of pointing out where government is subsidizing, you know, uh, what he calls the obesity epidemic. I know that there are people who want to debate whether or not the obesity epidemic is actually a problem. You know, I mean, th- this book is definitely leaning hard on that, at least in the in the initial going. Uh, so take that for what you will. Um, yes, it is pushing uh, more of a plant-based diet, just like How Not to Die did. Uh, but I think that this is a very, very worthwhile read, regardless of what your dietary structure is or fitness level and things like this. Um, I think there's really powerful things to glean from it. If anything, okay, even if you don't think, you know, that, that like, like if you consider even claiming, even, you know, for medical professionals to claim that there is an obesity epidemic. If you think that that is fat shaming and things like this, even if you think that I still think that there is just in the first few chapters, a ton of great info to walk away from uh, or to walk away with, you know, when, when you read this book. So uh, yeah, very impressed so far might do well at the very least, I'm sure Ellen and I will talk about it in the future uh, when we get through it. But again, it's a, it's a long book. Um, speaking of something not so long, man, and, and I'm going to try not to spoil anything here. Okay. Um, Picard, Star Trek Picard. 
Yeah, so so I think episode five uh, just came out of that, and and Ellen and I watched it last night, and we were both we've been liking the show more or less the past four episodes, and then the fifth episode, and this had the return of Seven of Nine, which everybody knew is in the trailers. It's not a spoiler. Um, and and I mean we love that character. Uh, you know, Seven of Nine is great. Yeah, last night's episode, episode five was like the first one where we're like, eh, you know, I, that, that wasn't that great. <laughs> like that, that was that. And, and even Ellen, you know, said, it's like, yeah, th- that, that's not Star Trek. Like the, these are people her, you know, her, I mean, I mean, and I want to have her on to talk about it as well, but she was basically saying, you know, that this, it felt like normal people. And it didn't feel like, you know, people of the 24th century in this. And I think that's a fair thing to bring up. Um, the idea that, and, and that's been a problem. And, and she, you know, she caveated, she said it's way better than Discovery, but it's still not exactly feeling like Star Trek, even though we are enjoying it or we had been enjoying it overall. And we've only got like three episodes left because this is just an eight episode season. We know we're getting a, a, a second season, but this is, you know, this is a little bit of a conversation to have here. Okay, and so I'll have it here, and then we've got great questions to get into, and a fucking amazing album of the week, which is probably going to be album of the year. Uh, I, I I'm going to call that right now that it'll probably be album of the year because it's that good. But anyway, we'll we'll keep going. Uh, Picard, Star Trek was powerful even in the '60s. For showing humanity what it can be. Not what it was. Yes, it would use alien species to address social issues or political issues or ethical issues of the time. Not that, I mean, yes, Star Trek absolutely did that. Okay. But, you know, it wasn't the humans that had the problem. You know, it would always be, or, it wasn't the people of earth or whatever, because sometimes it would be humans, but they'd be humans on other planets and stuff like this. It was a very clever way to sneak in really deep stuff that again, I've said this for years. Star Trek is one of, if not the most subversive cultural force in history, perhaps next to the Bible. I mean, it, it it's that subversive and it was subversive because people didn't know that they were getting preached to. They didn't know that they were getting a, they were getting a learning, as they say, when they watched it. Now it's beating you over the head with messages. It's not clever writing, you know, at all. Okay. I'm not necessarily saying some of it. I mean, it's not all bad writing either, but it's also not clever. Okay. Um, but it's beating you over the head with the messaging. And because of that, it doesn't get to be the clever show uh, you know, that, that, that Star Trek is known for. And we don't get to see again, what humanity can be. And I mean, yeah, Picard's, you know, the great captain, the great character and all this. And I, I'm not going to debate that for a second, but, and, and I know everybody knows who Captain Picard is, but I still feel like, no, the show's is fucking namesake. We need more of what makes Picard great in this. Like we really need that. And I, and I don't necessarily feel like we're, we're getting that at all. Uh, it, 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 
it's also, so that's my biggest peeve. And, and it sounded like that might be Ellen's as well. Even though I'll let her speak for herself uh, in, in an upcoming review, maybe when season one is done. Um, is that, yeah, we, we don't get to, you know, it's not something Star Trek didn't just to, uh, you gotta understand. I've been watching Star Trek since I was six, uh, you know, like I remember when Fox was prepping for the fact when Fox TV, not Fox news, when Fox, the, the television network just started out in the eighties. Okay. I existed at a time before Fox was a network. All right. I was a little kid, but I existed. So when you, when you create a new network, a new television network, cable, whatever, okay, a, a commonplace thing to do, especially back then, you do two things, okay? One is, is that, uh, you know, you create very low-budget, independent, uh, you know, homegrown shows, okay? For example, Fox made Married with Children, which cost practically nothing, of course, which ended up being a brilliant fucking show, but cost practically nothing to make, right? Because it mostly took place, um, you know, in the Bundy household, right? And maybe in a shoe store, but almost no budget whatsoever. And, you know, they made actors out of that. People who were basically no-name actors at the time. Now, you know, they're, they're, they're powerhouses as far as Hollywood goes, everybody involved. But Regardless, so you do that. The other thing you do is, is that you buy syndicated programming. Now, syndicated programming doesn't really exist anymore, which is basically you sold um, to networks. You sold the right to air uh, shows that got independently created by varying movie studios. Okay. In this case, with Star Trek, it was Paramount. Now, so in 1987, Fox started playing the original series of Star Trek to get everybody ready for what they knew they bought, and not that Fox is the only one, but they bought the syndication package for uh, for the next generation, which was, you know, a very, admittedly, everybody freaking out about Picard and Discovery, the same shit was going on back then. I remember my dad was not a big fan of the next generation when it first came out. I mean, come end of season two, he liked it, uh, but you know, it, it took a, took a minute for people for, for it to grow on them. Okay. Uh, but you know, the, I was there when Fox started playing the original series and when they picked up the next generation. Okay. I've been watching it since I was six. I have loved Star Trek that long because I thought it was amazing. N- not that I'm into censorship, but if I had a child, I wouldn't let them watch Picard for a fucking second. <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing too. Not that I, I mean, I want there to be adult Star Trek. Okay. I think there is a place for that, but there's also, I wouldn't let, I wouldn't have them watch discovery. Like there isn't any Star Trek and, and I don't want it to be cartoons either. Cause I know those are coming. Right. In fact, Nickelodeon and some other networks are all getting bundled into CBS all access now, which now makes sense why there are going to be uh, Star Trek shows on Nickelodeon. There are going to be cartoons getting made for Nickelodeon. Well, it's now it's all under one umbrella. But anyway, this is part of the whole Viacom deal, I guess. Uh, I didn't need a cartoon, even though the animated series of Star Trek was great. I didn't need a cartoon. Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek The Original Series, even when they dealt with adult stuff, and there's plenty in there, uh, somehow still worked and was viable and interesting for a six-year-old to a 60 year old, like say my grandfather at the time or something, because 
it wasn't showing humans of the day. It was, again, it was showing humans as they could be. Whether or not they should be that way, everybody's got a different opinion on, but how they could be. And so it could appeal to everyone because they weren't acting like modern day assholes. And we had plenty of those in 1987, just as we do today. And that's, to me, that seems like is what what's missing. Is I want the characters that, I want the Star Trek that shows what we can be, you know, and, and don't say, well, you know, discovery was, uh, was all about, um, humans figuring out how to be, you know, the, the, the people that we know of in Kirk's time and in Picard's time and everything. Uh, no, because you know what? The people in discovery act 10 times worse than the people in enterprise. The people in enterprise are infinitely more ethical and dare I say mature and fucking grown up than the idiots. I mean, then, um, than the characters in, in Discovery. Just doesn't fly. It, 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 I'll keep watching it. I'm going to watch season three of Discovery just because, you know, I'm into torture. Uh, <laughs> but fuck, it's so bad. And, and it's everything. You know, it's more, in my opinion, like I keep seeing so much in this show that is influenced by Game of Thrones. And man, man, did that... Game of Thrones is really the problem. That is really, really the problem. And the idea that somehow Star Trek has to think, or that CBS thinks that to to create a great show, you have to, or that that is in some kind of fantastical setting, that you have to mimic Game of Thrones. I mean, that's just it's just pure stupidity. But I digress. Um, yeah, I mean, even that book, you know, which led to that huge conversation around AI in episode 362 of Sovereign Tech, the Picard book, you know, something that rubbed me wrong in it. And look, I swear like a fucking sailor. Okay. I mean, I swear all the time, not just on the podcast in real life. I mean, I, I use the most despicable terms that you could imagine. And I do so with a smile on my face. And it's becoming clear in you know, modern Star Trek that now, you know, saying fuck and, and, and using a lot of swear words and everything that that's, that's par for the course. Like that's just, it's what they do. Um, and you know, it's fine. I don't mind it so much, but you know, a, a thought occurred to me because in the Picard novel, like people are swearing, humans are swearing right and left. And it, it's like, wait, what the fuck? You know, like when, when did this become a thing, especially not just in Kirk's time, but in the 24th century. Right. And by the way, I'm not the only one saying this, but no one's going to hit. No one has yet that I've seen hit at the point at why this is so incongruous uh, that I'll bring up in a second. But if you go and read reviews for the Picard book, uh, it was at last best hope. If you go there, if you go to Amazon, you'll see where people are like, wow, what's with all the swearing? Like, because it just doesn't feel like Star Trek. Right. But it's not just that. And, and you'd say like, Stanley, why do you care if they're swearing? Don't, don't you, I mean, you do it. Like, like I said, um, you know, why is this a big deal? Well, the thing is, is that if you remember a certain movie, in fact, it's what the second or third still highest grossing Star Trek film of all time, that being Star Trek four universally loved. I mean, people just love that movie. I do too. Um, Star Trek four, the voyage home from was that 87 in that 
that's one of the running jokes when the crew of the Enterprise, in Kirk, you know, we're talking about Kirk's Enterprise, Kirk's crew, when they go back in time, they don't know how to swear. Like, remember, Kirk is doing a well, double dumbass on you. Like, he's not good at it. He doesn't know how to do it. And they don't even like to do it. Like, it doesn't feel right. And Spock sucks at it and everything. And it's more of that raising the point that, again, Star Trek was always showing, whether Gene Roddenberry was in charge or not, was always showing how we could be. And that's a small thing, but I think it's one of those unconscious things that was in Star Trek that somehow made it more palatable and pleasing and engaging was that it sounded like something more than what we are right now, with even something as simple as not swearing. It's not a Christian thing. I mean, because for fuck's sake, there's no doubt about it that Gene Roddenberry was not Christian, nor were just about anybody involved with the production of the show. Okay. It was just something that was like looking at, you know, the, the better, uh, uh, you know, our better natures. Right. And so to have in discovery and Picard, it, it just doesn't make any sense that that kind of language I mean, you could say, all right, the reason that they really didn't swear, I mean, yeah, Kirk says damn and hell and things like this. The reason they didn't really swear was because of, you know, FCC regulations and whatever, right? Yeah, sure. That's part of it, but that's not all of it, right? That's not the entirety of what was going on, but it is inconsistent. And if everybody's so hot to trot about canon in, you know, the writer's room, the Star Trek writer's room at CBS All Access, uh, then they should be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, swearing is a weird thing. We don't do that. And I mean, now, if you watch Star Trek chronologically, it wouldn't be as funny when you get to Star Trek Four when Kirk and Spock suck at swearing, right? Because, well, why do they suck at swearing? Stamets swears. Everybody else fucking swears. So why is this an issue? And so, you know, it becomes a canon issue, quite frankly. And so it, it just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like Star Trek, whether it's enjoyable television or not. It ultimately doesn't feel like Star Trek, the Star Trek that we had known for decades. And it's a shame. And I'm going to end off with this. Okay. Because in fact, you know what? Here, I'm going to pull this up. This is from, uh, my, my fit. Well, what? <laughs> What is technically my favorite movie? Uh, no, not Roadhouse. <laughs> Close. <laughs> God, fuck, isn't, isn't Roadhouse a great movie? Shit. If you've never watched it or if it's been a while, I'm telling you, watch that movie again. Man, Roadhouse is so solid. Uh, anyway, no, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. I mean, my favorite movie that's not in a franchise is Gladiator, but te- really, at the end of the day, my favorite movie is Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, Marvel, back in the day, back in 79, uh, did a comic book adaptation and run uh, of Star Trek, and particularly of Star Trek, the motion picture. And there's, at the end of the Star Trek, the motion picture uh, comic book adaptation that was released in 79, there was a, there was some cool stuff in it. But one of the things in it was a, an essay at the end of it, because there was bonus material at the end of the adaptation, there was an essay called Star Trek The Phenomenon by Tom Rogers. And you got to understand, this is from 1979. And, you know, it's a few pages. And it, and it's interesting to read just because, A, it's from the 70s. But, B, you know, to, to read about Star Trek when all people basically had was the original series and how much the motion picture was going to mean to them. And I'm going to read to you the last sentence from, from this essay. Again, this was published by Marvel. 
right? You know, with the approval of Paramount, of course, but published by Marvel. Here we go. Uh, actually, I'll read the last paragraph just for complete context. According to the show in its new film, of course, talking about Star Trek, the motion picture in 1979, there is hope for humanity. Well, I can just stop right there. Do you feel like there's hope for humanity with even season three of Discovery, which is in the future and the Federation doesn't exist anymore? Do you feel like there's hope for humanity in Picard? No? Okay. So already these shows are knocking Star Trek's mission, but let, let's keep going. We will find our place in the stars and even influence many societies. Long ago, H.G. Wells wrote about a variety of utopias, but they are still non-existent. Someday, hopefully, the days of the Federation will come to pass and our descendants will benefit from a society that now, only, that now exists only in our fantasies. Now here's the next line, and this is the big one. Star Trek must live forever because it represents our eventual salvation. Live long and prosper. I mean, that's powerful, right? That's a, that's a, that, those are powerful words to come out with saying, I, I, I mean, cause I love it. You know, when people say Star Trek is just a TV show. No, no, jackass. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Star Trek. This is being written in 79. This is before there was Twitter. This is before there was a bunch of dumb ass fucking Raylos. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and people who like just so self-identified with fandom to the point that they don't have an actual uh, intrinsic identity. They bought into the shit hook, line and sinker. And that battleground is something worth talking about because it is a battleground. I'll explain what I mean about that in a second. Okay. So this is before all of that. All right. These... To some degree, this is representative of what, I'm, what I want to end off with as well. But point being, this is before that kind of fan existed like we have today. And you have this guy professionally putting out in a comic book. Star Trek must live forever because it represents our eventual salvation. And that's what Star Trek's really all about at the end of the day, what it should be about, what it was always supposed to be about when it started off as the original series. And it was meant to be basically the television enclave for great science fiction and great science fiction at the time in the minds of the great science fiction writers at the time were using science fiction, right? The Futurians. Look into that group. We're using science fiction to show what humanity can be and how we can get past all the turbulent, tumultuous, political bullshit that they were dealing with at the time when Star Trek was just meant to be that. And that's what it was meant to be. It was not, not meant to be campy popcorn, yay fun, sit around the television who wasn't that kooky and his ears are funny. That is not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be so much more. Science fiction at its best is what it was meant to be. And many times was city on the edge forever. Taste of Armageddon go down the fucking list. That's why people were so enthralled by it because wow, here is something. These are these, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, all of them, whatever. These are not people who act like the morons running the show today. These are people who actually care about each other, who are actually trying to act 
with some kind of ethical compass that, you know, are, are trying to do good in the world, real good for everyone and treating everybody equally. Imagine that. And now we're basically dealing with, I mean, that's why I say it's, it was representative of our eventual salvation of what it can look like of, of some of the platitudes that we could implement that would get us to where we could even reach for the stars and get past so many petty differences. And now we just have Star Trek that is that basically is, is just replete with our petty differences and just running with it. And, you know, I know people are probably saying, well, you know, Discovery Season 3 is maybe going to, like, uh, I don't know, bring all this back uh, and, and, and get everybody back on track, get humanity back on track to being peaceful and loving and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I have no confidence whatsoever that the writers could pull that story off in season three. No confidence whatsoever. None. I don't believe it. You'd have to bring in an entirely new writing team. And also, I don't believe it because I don't, I find myself not really agreeing clearly with a lot of the politics that, and that's fine. I don't always agree with the politics that Star Trek has put on display. Um, but there's not even an internal consistency within it, which is what Star Trek really, you know, I mean, and Stanley Kubrick really started that whole concept of 2001, the idea of making the future so internally consistent that people believe it, you know, like that's, that's how 2001 worked. That's part of its magic. Star Trek had that magic as well. It no longer has that magic. And I blame IP law certainly, but it no longer has, uh, you know, that magic. And so I, you know, I, I don't think that I think there Entertainment in every medium, not just Hollywood, but entertainment, and it always has been a cultural battleground, right? But now it's beating you over the head and it's blatant. And it's also not a place where different views are allowed, right? Because like Babylon 5 could never get made today because no one would agree with Straczynski's politics, even though he's clearly pretty liberal. I think shit's so bad. Again, we live in a dystopia. Right now, we live in a genuine dystopia. Things things are so bad, much like Ayn Rand said, where, you know, when when things get this way, people run to the movie theater because they just want to escape from reality. And I get that. The problem is is that the the the, uh, the escapism that they're going to go to has nothing edifying in it anymore. You know, and it's just playing off of, you know, the not the, the our better nature, but dare I say our worst. And and so yeah, I, I'm I'm really, really worried at, at just how much I mean, I think the bulk of what's going on right now, fiction is so important. And libertarians, anarchists, if they had if they wanted to, if they genuinely didn't just want power for, for themselves. And anarchists is a broad term. I guess more I mean libertarians and maybe more so with the capital L. This isn't true for all of them, but I think for many, if they genuinely wanted to create a freer world, they wouldn't waste two seconds on politics. They wouldn't waste two seconds on, frankly, on nonfiction horseshit, okay, which largely comes down to interpretation. Basically, in my opinion, just about all economics comes down to reading tea leaves, all right? They wouldn't bother with any of that crap. I mean, come on, who are you going to convince for shit by attacking Krugman? Give me a break. 
That's just, a, I mean, that's an ego-stroking joke. Be honest with me. Who who are you? If, if you think, I mean, and then you have other people who are like, oh, yeah, the college campus is, is, is the real battleground for culture. No, 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 no. And even if you think that way, what, you think you're going to convince some fucking college uh, uh, students by going after Paul Krugman? They don't have a fucking clue who he is. If you want to, if, if you want to create a better world, a freer world, if you want to make pockets of where you can be remotely happy and free, whatever that means for you, personal freedom, right? I am telling you the place to do that is fiction. It's why, it's why people even like me who aren't even a fan can quote Ayn Rand because she owned ass in fiction. doesn't matter if you think she's a good writer or not. She did the job, right? Why are people still talking about Asimov? Why are they still talking about this and that, blah, blah, blah? They're not talking about Carl Menger. There is an absolute, like the, the you know, if, if there were a battle for freedom, it is happening right now in entertainment, in fiction. If you wanted to put your efforts somewhere, take all that stupid, you know, uh, uh, super PAC money or whatever bullshit you're putting together and put it into hiring authors that can write stuff that show that is representative to, to quote, uh, to, to quote that, that Star Trek uh, essay that is representative of the of our eventual salvation. Do that. Hey, I'm I love writing fiction, okay? I don't have the time or the resources to make it happen. And I'm not saying that people need to fund me to do it. I'm just saying, let's be <laughs> this is I, I don't care. Whoever wants to do it, please, if you've got it, if you've got the resources, if you can somehow convince these morons that are funding dumbass podcasts and, and, and political action committees and whatever else, if you can convince them, hey, I think we should be putting our money towards funding people that can write great fucking fiction, or we should go and, and spend $20 million on creating uh, an anime that has, I don't know, I, I don't care if it's anarcho-capitalist. Take your fucking pick of it. I don't give a shit. Just put something else out there than the drivel, status drivel, that is getting poured onto people even in Star Trek today. Do something else. Do something that will actually work. I guarantee you it'll work. And even if it takes 50 years, fine. Because the dumbass books that you wrote 50 years ago that somehow you think are these great fucking economic texts are doing nothing for nobody. Nobody cares. Entertainment, art, is something that lasts forever when it's done great. Fund that. Put energies towards that. Stop the horseshit. Politics will get you nowhere. Everybody forgets everything that every fucking politician has done. I mean, I mean, they they really do. They they just they don't care. And people right now, believe me, why are they so hot and bothered about Marvel movies? Why are they so nuts about Game of Thrones? Why are they all oh, fuck? I love Star Trek today. Blah blah blah. Why? Because they just want to have something that they can run to where it feels like maybe they have a voice or where you know something is being done because nothing is being done in the real world overall. And it's not because people are going for escapism, okay? It's because you can't influence things through, you cannot, you cannot disempower, 
domination structures that exist, governments, etc., by somehow feeding that power by working within it. You can't shut down McDonald's by going to work for McDonald's. You can sidestep all this crap, okay? You, you know what gets people to stop going to McDonald's? Writing books, I don't know, something like uh, like Dr. Greger wrote, like, you know, How Not to Die. That shuts down McDonald's. That shuts down varying infrastructures that are not healthy to the human condition. Stop! I don't know how, and, 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 and you say, well, it's not zero-sum. No, it must be zero-sum because I don't see anybody writing great I mean, and, and getting a push from apparently people that have some kind of voice. Really, they don't have a voice. It's just a fucking circle jerk. I will be the first one to support you putting out great, great, great entertainment that has a message that is about personal freedom. I will do it for free. But it better be fucking good. And don't say, well, that's subjective. No, 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 no. No, there are grammar rules, okay? There are certain there are certain aspects of art that is objective. I'm not saying it all is, but there are certain objective aspects to art. As long as you can, you know, match those, hey, baby, I am here to support you. No, I don't mean a comic book like The Voluntarist or, or whatever the fuck. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, do great, subversive, sneaky, clever fiction. And I don't care what form, what medium it takes, and you have my support. If I have to do it, when I do have the time, I'll get to it and I'll put it out there. And I'm not even a great writer, okay? But I'll do what I have to do. If I have to do more audio theater, I'll do more audio theater. Whatever the fuck it fucking takes. But I assume that there are people, or at least that's the claim, is that, well, this guy's got a lot of money. Oh, yeah, this libertarian's rich. Well, then fuck, then, then have them do something. Have them be Batman for your libertarian or anarchist community, right? You know, because, I mean, that's the great thing that Bruce Wayne did, right? Uh, you know, he had a shit ton of money until he turned into a crime fighter. Good. How do you fight crime today? Well, you don't do it physically. You don't do it by kicking anybody's ass. You don't do it by joining politics. You don't do it by funding any politician. You don't do it by, 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 by rocking a vote. Voting never rocks. You do it by creating entertainment that engages people and that subversively engages them. Because if you hit them over the head before it, they're going to smell that they're being sold something. And if it's not what is, you know, popular in the Twitterverse, it ain't going to go over. You've got to be subversive about it. And I guarantee you, you can, but you got to know how to do it. Anyway, fuck. I did not intend on spending this much time on this, on this subject. I have other things I want to, I want to get into, but it is really important that ultimately freedom has always come down to a culture war. It was true with slavery. It didn't take a war in Europe to end slavery, okay? It, or it didn't take a physical war. It didn't take a civil war. It just became distasteful culturally. You do, you know, the spreading of information. And today, fiction is the, is the, the I mean, that is the de jour of that, okay? That's how it gets done. It's been that way for a while. Do that. That's how you get more freedom. Got, you have to change the culture. Changing laws, bothering with laws, any of that crap, it's just not it's not gonna do a fucking thing. Anyway, 
you know, let's try and get into a couple questions here. Uh, in fact, you know, this question, this is one that came into me via Twitter. Uh, someone direct messaged me. And this actually proves my point. <laughs> Everything I was just saying, this proves. Here it is. This is a question. Uh, it, yeah, it is a question. It does end with a question mark. Okay. As soon as you mentioned Asimov in Sovereign Tech episode 362, it all clicked for me. So Sovereign Tech episode 362, that's the one where we're talking about, where we also talked about Picard, how it relates to AI. Um, I mean, and there's a whole other conversation to have around that because I think Picard's trying to sell us Silicon Valley's vision. But anyway, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but that's the episode where we talked about, you know, the internet being a living thing, etc. Okay. So anyway, let me read that again. As soon as you mentioned Asimov and Sovereign Tech episode 362, it all clicked for me. You're just trying to create Asimov's foundation, aren't you? And that, that's all it was. I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm trying to create anything, <laughs> okay? But this is kind of a practical, or not, not just practical, a real, as in in reality, thing that we can do and that I think is important to do because, so for those that don't know, look, just, just go to Wikipedia. Basically, the foundation, all right, I'll try and be quick about this. Foundation. There is what's famously the Foundation trilogy, but actually it's a gigantic universe and has far more than a trilogy to it. And even more people than Asimov uh, picked up the pen to, quote unquote, officially write uh, books that take place within the Foundation universe or the Galactic Empire universe or the robot universe, even though, again, they're all connected. Um, the Foundation trilogy or the Foundation stories it the initial premises. There's this concept of psychohistory, but the point being is that a guy predicts that the the ruling body at the time, which is the Galactic Empire, which if you know one wants to get fancy with it, could say that that's representative of America, sooner or later knew that the Galactic Empire was going to fall and that there would be this like 10,000 years of darkness, you know, and and everybody would, you know, space transportation, all of these things, modern civilization, as they understood it in the Galactic Empire uh, would fall. And so this guy starts to set up a, I mean, and it's a lot more complex than this. I'm just being very basic. Sets up basically a world that is a library that is going to save all of the knowledge, uh, you know, and, and the, I guess all the plans, the technology and everything, um, and set it aside and keep it safe. It'll be secret and kept safe from the warlords that are going to come after the Galactic Empire falls, uh, et cetera, Right. Like this is the basic idea and that's the foundation is this, this library world. Okay. Or this organization, you know, that's tasked with preserving all knowledge now. And, and the idea is, is that if you create the foundation that the 10,000 years of darkness will only be like a thousand instead. And so it'll shorten that time frame. Great. Okay. So that's the basic idea. Now I am a firm believer in being in an abstract sense, a librarian. Okay. That's why I get uh, so many books converted into eBooks to preserve them. Okay. In a portable way, uh, because I mean, you can have the biggest library in the world, but in many ways, that's just, that's just something waiting for a torch to be thrown at it. All right. Now, and there are plenty of people who are preserving all of the paper books as well and good for them. But for me, you know, there, there are varying ways where, 
I think it's entirely possible to keep consistent access to eBooks. I get them turned into PDF, which is an incredibly popular format, etc. cetera. Uh, it is my way of preservation. Okay. And also, I mean, it doesn't have to be so bad as where everything, you know, the electrical grid falls apart and all this stuff, you know, you could just get to the point where, and I think that this is a direction that things are going where algorithms are going to not only control what information can be seen, but what can be downloaded and accessed. Part of this leads into where, I mean, even if I just download an album, that's like a RAR file, right? Uh, Google Chrome will freak the fuck out and say, oh, there's something dangerous here. There's nothing dangerous there at all. Okay. And eventually that kind of technology or that, that ability where the browser tells you what you can and cannot have. And there's really no way to rescue that file, you know, and it doesn't tell you till after it's downloaded and then it's just gone. Um, you know, that take that to a certain logical conclusion. And that leads to where Google has absolute control of what data ends up on your computer. And that is a problem, but not even going that extreme. I think it's, abundantly clear that all of this algorithm training is to effectively control the information that's on display on the varying platforms out there. I mean, this goes, this is true for the web browser as much as it is for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I mean, this has been talked about on Sovereign Tech, experimented by Silicon Valley for a very long time. So, and I mean, and before Silicon Valley was doing it, when we thought that the internet was going to set information free, I mean, it can for now, but clearly there is a very, I mean, this gets into fake news. This gets into so many things. There are clear pushes to get information back under control on the internet. So it behooves, I mean, but again, or what I was going to say was again, before, you know, the internet was a thing. I mean, the government was basically in charge of this, you know, that's why there's so many laws around books and so many other things. Uh, you know, it's all about trying to control the spread of information, right? Uh, you know, when the Gutenberg press happened, uh, governments and religions of the time and other institutions lost that control for a little while. Then they started reining it back in. Then the internet happened and now they're trying to rein that back in. And so the really revolutionary, peaceful, of course, or should I say the really rebellious thing that you can do today is to be a librarian and preserve as much knowledge, as much, I mean, even entertainment, fiction, not just nonfiction, but preserve as much data, uh, not, you know, data necessarily about other people, but data that has been, you know, agreed to be put out in the, into the world, right, by parties involved. Preserve that as much as you can, you know, preserve the, I mean, art is at the core of being a human being and preserving that art, as well as our knowledge of how to do things and what we've learned science, you know, and so on, uh, which is basically what the foundation was doing. It's easily one of the most rebellious things you can do. One of the most, uh, ethical things you can do. I think it is a great uh, way to spend time. It is not a waste of time. And you get to learn from everything that you're collecting, you know, as much as you can, you can take in. No, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm the kind of person who also, I mean, this, it's kind of a creative process, right? Because I, I definitely live by the maxim of, uh, create more than you consume. And, but this is in its own way, a creation. Like I like to record audiobooks. Um, that is, while it's not a book that I wrote, it is a way of freeing information. It is a way of creating 
and not so much consuming, right? I mean, it's okay to consume, just you want to create more than you consume. Uh, it's, it's just at the heart of who we are. So, yeah, the idea that I've been trying to create the foundation <laughs> with, with everything I've espoused on Sovereign Tech, um, I've certainly try, I'm trying to get people to get into having local data again, having their own data, having access to it, or at least supporting where, you know, we have more pockets where we individually collect data and things like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that is a, that is parallel off to the side doesn't even have to be as extreme as an intentional community, but just living off to the side and outside of all of the bullshit that's going on, you know, in what I guess you could call the main civilization or the main society, right? Or the primary society and just being outside of that, being outside of the first realm, right? You ever hear that second realm, like same concept. So yeah, wanting to build a foundation, I mean, if I inspire people to do things along those lines, great. You know, I'm not saying I'm trying to do anything, you know, too formal. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy. But yeah, I can get behind that. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, right? <laughs> uh, so if that's what you get out of listening to Sovereign Tech, that's a great message to take away from Sovereign Tech overall. I don't know how long you've been listening, um, but I'm glad if you think that that's a message. Um, yeah, that's a message I support and sure I try to do myself. I mean, that's why I, I mean, I don't do Spotify. That's why I collect all the music. I want all of the music because again, a lot of those music, just the music streaming services, just like Netflix, where Netflix would lose movies or TV shows over time. Uh, these music services will lose albums like just out of nowhere. And suddenly they're not available anymore. Amazon will lose books you know, eBooks because they'll lose the rights to them and they'll, they'll go so far as to rip them off of your Kindle. Right. Um, so I don't trust any of these streaming services, the things I care about, the things I am passionate about and that inspire me to create, right. Which one could argue that's the ultimate goal of art is to inspire you to go out into the world and do something. Um, you know, I want to make sure I always have access to, and the system is clearly set up to where I can't guarantee, I can't count on the system. I can't count on Silicon Valley. I can't count on streaming services. I sure as fuck am not going to count on Alexa, Google Home, or go down whatever, you know, to be able to tell me uh, anything that's remotely the truth or interesting. So it behooves us to store all of this up as a, again, as a rebellious act, as an expression of personal freedom. I mean, it really does. And again, it's totally worthwhile. Uh, in my opinion, to do. And then if you want to go forward and make your own entertainment and fiction and put it out to the world, fuck yes, do it. The world needs it, especially if you are the kind of person that that is actively engaged in trying to create some kind of change that gives you more personal freedom in the world. This is how you go about it. And you say, how come nobody else says this? That's because largely other people are... Oh, Never mind. I'm not, I'm just going to end up insulting people and I don't need to do that. <laughs> like there's just, there's, there's, there's no need, you know, to, to, to go down that road. So anyway, uh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> I have another question here. It has to do with sex. I think I'm going to end up saving that one because we're already at about an hour. So I really want to wrap this up, but you know, Talking about sexy, 
why don't, why don't, we, why don't we hit that? Um, <laughs> an album came out. Actually, it'll come out, I think, technically today as of this recording, as of when this is getting re- or released, I should say. Um, an album came out. I mean, just knowing that it it's the band that it is uh, instantly had me excited because I think this is one of the top bands in the world today. I could easily see it becoming one of my top bands of all time, maybe even in my top five. As soon as I saw it posted, I instantly, of course, downloaded it, put it into Plex, you know, and of course kept it. Obviously, Plex operates off of one of my hard drives, so I am keeping, uh, you know, a, a, a digital copy myself. And I mean, just started listening to it. And man, my fist was instantly pumping. And, you know, I don't care how you interpret that phrase because <laughs> I'm sure I was doing both. I think I had one fist on my dick and the other one was just raised in the air. Like, fuck, yeah, it was so intense Uh, I mean, and just high energy and I was on, I was ready to go uh, as soon as this started up and the band is a band called heat H E A T. And that is, uh, I don't know what that stands for, but it is written out as an acronym, you know, as a period between each letter. Uh, and this is their was like their sixth album. I I've been a huge, huge fan of this band. In fact, their last album which was uh, Into the Great Unknown. Um, That came out, when did that come out? Was that, that was 2017. That was album of the year for 2017. And I'm pretty sure this album, which is just titled Heat 2, with Roman numerals 2, this is going to take the album of 2020. This is is a perfect, a perfect album. Uh, I mean, now let's, let's compare. Last year's album, uh, of the year, what 2019 was uh, Beast and Blacks from Hell with Love. Now, if you ask me which one's better between Heat 2 and From Hell with Love, ouch, <laughs> that, that's a tough pick. I I think I'd probably edge it out to From Hell with Love, but granted, Beast and Black only has two albums. Heat has six or seven. Okay, so, you know, there's, he has a, a longer track record as far as delivering the goods and man, every album they do fuck. They are so good. I I don't, I don't know how, like I, I get it that melodic rock is not in vogue and it hasn't been in vogue in America for decades. Uh, thanks Nirvana, you asshats, but I, I, whether melodic rock's a big deal or not, I don't know how heat is not one of the biggest bands in the world. Just like Amaranth, actually, I had a Sovereign Tech listener uh, email me about the new Amaranth song, and they have an album come out in 2020, uh, but the new song, Do or Die, phenomenal song. Um, I knew they had an album coming out this year. Uh, I'm actually seeing them on tour. Ellen and I will be seeing them this year, uh, which is really exciting. In fact, they have Battle Beast opening up for them, which, I mean, talk about fucking high energy. That that show, you're not going to be able to walk after that show, and no one's going to even touch you. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Um, but really, I don't know how uh, bands like Amaranth and Heat, how they're not like the biggest things in the world. I mean, I know they're fairly big for what they are, but Heat is so, so solid. I mean, there's just not a bad album, you know, and, and they have so many f- great songs. Uh, but Heat 2 opens right up with a song, Rock Your Body, pure, 
pure heat. I mean, it's just it's pure intensity. Phenomenal. Dangerous ground. Come clean. Victory. We are gods. I love that song. We are gods. Phenomenal. Uh, Adrenaline. Aptly named. One by one. Nothing to say. Uh, Heaven must have won an angel. Under the gun. Rise. I mean, you got 11 tracks here and it's track for track. It is absolutely track for track. There's not a weak song in the bunch. There is a ballad in there that slows it down a little bit, but it's okay. It feels good. And yeah, this is just, this is a masterpiece, masterpiece of a fucking album. Um, I like, I'll, I'll say it now other than may, maybe Amaranth couldn't, could unseat this, but Amaranth would have to deliver something pretty fucking amazing. Not to say they can't, they can. Uh, I mean, at least Rid is just, you know, she's one of the best, uh, you know, in the work they're doing with Arch Enemy now. Oh, fuck. Anyway, <laughs> or, or not, not that they're, yeah. Anyway, Arch Enemy, another great band to check out, but that, that's not where I meant to go with that. Um, he is probably the most, the best, most consistent band to come out in the past decade. They're that good. Uh, I mean, I have no problem making that claim that they are. I mean, if Beast in Black had were five albums deep now, maybe I'd give that honor to Beast in Black. But no, I got to give to Heat. This is this is the best. If you want to call them a modern band, I mean, you know, six albums deep, I don't know. But if you want to call them a modern band, uh, then this is the best thing going as far as modern bands. I mean, that that have some track record. Uh, amazing. I mean, right from that opening song, Rock Your Body, just kicks your ass. Just totally kicks your ass. And great melodic rock. I mean, you just feel good listening to it. It's sexy. It's got all the right hooks. I mean, it, this, this is... This is my kind of music, baby. This is the real fucking deal. And, and I mean, 2020 has already had some great stuff come out. In fact, yeah, oh, hell, I didn't even get to it here. I'll get to it at some point during a Q&A. Uh, but one of our albums of the week is going to be Demons and Wizards came out with a third album. Yes! <laughs> I didn't even see that coming. I should have, considering they did those remasters of their first two in 2019. Uh, but that another Dynamite album. There's just so much great shit that has just come out in the past couple weeks. Man, musically, what a time to be alive. Don't let Spotify tell you what to fucking listen to. Get on this shit. Check out Heat 2. Awesome album. Just pure dynamite. You, you, you got to try it out. So, okay, that's it. I'm going to wrap this one up here. Uh, actually had somebody in the Telegram group bring up a great question, a great point of conversation that I think is so important. It has to do with how to, you know, tech and how to survive a pandemic. I think it's such a great question, such a great conversation to be had around that. That might even be in a Sovereign Tech Prime. That might be our next Sovereign Tech Prime episode, our main Sovereign Tech episode, because that is, you know, with coronavirus or is that what they call it, right? With all that going on, I mean, that is a conversation to be had. Also, that plays in nicely, kind of like how we're talking about, hey, is Sovereign Tech really just trying to build the foundation or foundations? Maybe, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so... So this would play well into that. And it's something actually I've been thinking about a lot recently too, because again, we do live in a dystopia. Um, I I think that's a very worthwhile conversation to have. Um, I know he also asked because of my military background, uh, which had a lot to do actually with, well, some of this, com- some, some of that subject. Uh, so yeah, I, I want to get into that. So that is coming uh, and got some other great questions that I want to get into. Feel free to send questions in the Telegram group uh, and also feel free to send them. Email me, bbs at sovereigntech.com, or you can get them in on Twitter as others have. 
and honored as always to have you as patrons. And we'll wrap this one up and I will see all of you woo, on the other side.